Hi there, and welcome to the Nerds of Business podcast. My name is Darren Moffat. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency, and I'm your host. It's great to have you with us for episode nine of the product development series. Now, regular listeners will know that our vision is to make entrepreneurs happier. We usually achieve that by solving the key challenges that all businesses must overcome one problem at a time. But today, briefly, I'm trying a rather different approach. Poetry, to be precise. If the idea of a bit of 16th century verse doesn't exactly set your entrepreneurial heart aflutter, then I hope the poem you're about to hear won't scare you off. But bear with me, as you'll see, there is method in the madness. No man is an island entire of itself, every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main, if a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were, any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind. And therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. So as we'd say today, of course, no person is an island. That very famous quote is from a piece called The Devotions by the Elizabethan poet John Donne. Of course, the point he's making is that we're all connected. And this is perhaps never more apparent than when a business seeks to expand distribution for its product or service. You simply can't do it all alone. These days, that inevitably involves the online platforms that have come to define the nature of commerce in the 21st century, whether it's Facebook, Google, eBay, Amazon, Instagram, Stripe, WooCommerce, Shopify, Alibaba, PayPal or Apple, chances are your business already relies on one or more of these platforms to get your product to the people. But as you'll soon hear in our opening story, such interdependence does carry risk for entrepreneurs, and sometimes it can even destroy a business entirely. The year is 2014. And an Australian entrepreneur by the name of Matt Berryman has developed a groundbreaking product idea. He realises that the screen of his mobile phone, before it is unlocked to open the device, is potentially a valuable, untapped space for online advertising. His hypothesis is that if smartphone users have the opportunity to save on their telco bills by agreeing to view advertising messages on that screen in the seconds before the phone is unlocked, that it could open up a lucrative new channel for advertisers. It's a truly compelling proposition, and in a piece of brilliant branding, he calls the startup Unlocked. Pretty soon, people are rushing to jump on board. The company raises $60 million in venture capital from some of the biggest investors in the world, including Lachlan Murdoch. It also establishes partnerships with Twitter, Yahoo, and high-profile brands such as McDonald's. And its fast-growing base of 330,000 users leads to a valuation in excess of $200 million, 
all achieved in just three short years. But for the company's model to work, it's almost totally reliant on one third-party platform for distribution. And it's this strategic vulnerability that begins to wreak havoc on the plucky startup. To achieve scale, the company needs Android smartphone users to download and install the Unlocked app on their phone. Although Google Play has previously approved the app, by 2018, just before Unlocked is about to list on the stock exchange, it alleges that the app is breaching the Google Play marketplace terms. This spells disaster for Unlocked and its high-profile shareholders. The app is effectively pulled from sale, and despite subsequent court action in the UK to overturn what they describe as Google's unilateral decision, Unlocked is unable to continue trading and the company closes in 2019. Now, there's a postscript to the tale of Unlocked. Google was ultimately awarded £200,000 for its legal costs in the UK court case. As sad as this story is for the founder and his team, it's a pretty extreme example of a distribution partnership going bad. More often than not, such arrangements are positive for both parties in different ways. And there are plenty of tech businesses that have scaled almost entirely on the back of other platforms. The best example I can think of is probably Tinder. In the early days, they relied heavily on the Facebook API for their user profile data. The sign up with Facebook feature minimized the onboarding friction for users and also had the added benefit of importing their demographic data so that age, gender and location was accurate, an important requirement in a dating app. If you're getting ready to launch a new product or you just want to boost your existing distribution through the online channel, what can you do to maximise your returns without eroding your profit margin or damaging your brand? I love data. I I love kind of looking through the data. You need to have systems, you need to have structure. You're going to get chopped to pieces. Enthusiasm is unstoppable. We kind of hit a point where we were like, we need another lever. Drown yourself with people who are smarter than you and richer than you. (laughs) This is Nerds of Business. We'll start the show in a minute, but first, a word from our sponsor. Hi everyone, it's Ben Carew here. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency. I work alongside the host of this podcast, Darren Moffat. If you're a business owner who wants to grow, but you don't have the spare funds to invest in marketing right now, you're not alone. Since COVID hit, we've noticed more clients suspending campaigns or delaying their marketing altogether due to cash flow issues. In response to this, we developed a solution called Buy Now, Pay Later Digital Marketing. It provides eligible small businesses with nothing to pay on SEO, digital marketing and website development for up to three months. We think it's perfect for entrepreneurs who need a helping hand getting sales flowing again. I'll be back later in the show to explain how it works, but if you can't wait, you can download a free info pack now at webbuzz.com.au slash bnpl. That stands for buy now, pay later. That's webbuzz.com.au slash bnpl. So the title of today's episode and the problem we're trying to solve is 
Seller beware, navigating the pros and cons of e-commerce and online distribution platforms. Now, we're breaking slightly with our normal format today to focus exclusively on three entrepreneur guests. You'll hear from the young founder of a healthcare company worth more than $250 million. She's massive on Instagram, and you'll hear how that drives the growth in her business. You'll also hear from a product designer of an Australian neobank who's established a partnership with Hot Fintech Afterpay. And you'll be hearing from an electronics manufacturer who reveals what it's really like to sell through Amazon. If you're a founder or business owner wanting to expand your distribution via the online channel, then you won't want to miss this episode. But first, here's just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying Nerds of Business, to please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. It means you'll automatically receive each new episode every fortnight, and it makes it easier for us to stay in touch. Regular listeners will recall our next guest from earlier in the series. Jessica Seppel is a health and wellness expert and the founder of JS Health. She's a healthcare entrepreneur whose business has taken off like a rocket here in Australia. Her company just received the Deloitte Technology Fast 50 Australia Rising Star Award for achieving an astonishing 21,540% annual growth rate. Jess is a qualified nutritionist who's built a massive online following, which now encompasses more than 400,000 people across Instagram, Facebook, and email. So online distribution is a huge part of her business. I began by asking her to explain her channel strategy and how she leverages the power of community for her distribution. So if you're a subscriber to our website, you get 10% off. Mm -hmm. So I think that really does appeal appeal to people. Um, So that's probably the main thing. But on Instagram, I think what's happened now with the JSL vitamin range is that there's so much trust in our products that they get so excited about any product that we launch and we just, I think the other thing is our, our actual website and how informative it is. So if you want to understand or know more about the product, it's very easily understood and accessible. Mm-hmm. It's just all laid out for you on the website. So I think that's definitely a big marketing strategy is making sure the product pages on the website are really informative, then conveying that all through social media, through our EDM which is our newsletter, and then through paid um, advertising. So it's all about the communication of the product, how this product, as you very cleverly picked up on, how it's going to be a problem solver for you. So we will, if we make sure that people are aware of our products through those channels, we have a lot of celebrities and influencers who take our products and they get so excited about the results that they tell their community. So that's another huge marketing strategy for us. Is so you're using the influencer channel quite, quite actively as well, yeah? Quite actively, but I have to say as a founder, it's very important for me that the influencers and celebrities are genuinely taking the product before we engage them or work with them. You know, they have to have really seen genuine results because otherwise their community don't believe them. You know, it's only when that celebrity has genuinely been able to get rid of that bald patch in their hair because of our hair product that's backed by science and has this incredible kelp that's exclusive to us from, you know, when they communicate the genuine results um, and transformation they've experienced with our product is only when their community will believe them anyway. So I'm, I love working with influencers and celebrities to a, to a degree. It has to be completely genuine. Um, otherwise, it just doesn't even convert anyway. 
Yeah. Well, it's uh, been really telling in my, you know, I've interviewed probably, I don't know, 15, 20 really top entrepreneurs now. And mm-hmm. the notion of authenticity is a real golden thread that runs through. 100%. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's kind of the magic source so to speak it's a magic touch it's a magic touch and i think that like if you really said to me right now what do you think has been the main reason you guys have succeeded and the first thing that would come to my mind is the authenticity of the brand is the fact that from day one we've cared so much about the community so much about the customer it's always been a genuine authentic desire to create products to help them and and i think people feel it, you know, the community, the online community, they can really get a sense of authenticity. And I think that's what Jay's Hub has obviously done, done something good with. Clearly, I I think you you guys have done a great job there. And that leads me to the next question. I mean, content marketing is obviously such a big part of what you do. I mean, you're with such big social followings and, um, and such a big community, right? Like, that just inevitably creates a huge demand for new content all the time, okay? So, uh, you know, of course, you're only one person. You know, you can't do it all. So how, mm-hmm. have, you, how have you juggled that challenge of people still want the authenticity, but, wow, I've got to produce all this content all the time. Yeah. I can't do it all myself. So how do you, how do you, you know, how do you make that work? I think a lot of people would be really interested in that. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, we as founders and entrepreneurs had to do it all our, all ourselves. You know, for at least the first four or five years, Dean, my husband and I were just doing it all ourselves with maybe one or two other staff members. I think as, as you have now, you probably know very well, entrepreneurs definitely do have to put on a few different hats, especially in the beginning. Yep. But then it, there, there comes a point where that's just no longer sustainable. And that's when I really believe so much in the success of a company is the team. It really is the team and finding people who are smarter than you and better at you and and really honing in on what you do best and focusing purely on that and trying not to divert your attention to too many different places. I think that's when things get very scattered and confusing and overwhelming. I have been quite good at saying, no, you know, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a designer. I'm certainly not a paid ads manager. And I'm certainly not someone who likes to engage influencers. That's just not what I'm good at. So finding a team then who are good at those things and then going really remembering what you are good at and focusing all your time, energy and attention on that. And when I don't do that, it shows, you know, when I start trying to do everything and I think also as a founder, Dean and founders, Dean and I don't like to micromanage too much. We like to give our team independence to do what they do best. And I think that actually leads to a really brilliant working culture where you're not micromanaging. You allow people to be free to to do what they love to do and give them that, that sense of trust. You know, the team like to feel trusted and um, that also definitely helps the, the overall brand succeed so we are now obviously a team of like 15 in Australia and then we have a team in China and UK and South Africa and the US. And you have like a socials team and a content team. And all exactly, that kind of yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was doing, you know, and if you said like I was doing all of that in the beginning, but I probably wasn't doing the best job at it. Yes, yes. That's the other thing. In the beginning you do it because you have to hustle. Yes. And you definitely don't have the, um, the means to pay, you know, for so many different staff members. So 
Dan and I did that. We used to do custom support. I used to do the EDMs. I used to do all of the social media, all of the um, social media responses to the community. Um, But then there comes that point where you really do have to hand over. And I think, as I said in the beginning of the conversation, it's very scary for entrepreneurs and founders to hand over certain roles. Like my husband only just recently handed over customer support. Can you even believe that? Because he felt, and he's the CEO now, he's running, you know, the growth of the company, huge company now. Um, And it was really hard for him to let go of the customers and, you know, just trust that someone else would take care of them the way he did. Well, they see, that's the thing. I'm, I'm, I, I think that's a really good decision. In fact, it's an unusual decision. You wouldn't see too many CEOs, you know, sort of looking after customer support um, uh, these days and mm-hmm. particularly at a, in, at a company of, of your level. But nevertheless, I think it's actually quite wise. And, and the reason for that is, of course, that you are a community-based business. Yeah, it, it just shows the care. Shows the care, but it's also risk management, right? Like, you know, if you've got someone mm, on that customer desk who, who's not caring, who's burning customers mm-hmm. left, right and centre, and then there starts exactly. a negative sentiment in the community, ne- bad reviews for your products or for your programs, well, you know, that can pretty quickly, uh, you know, uh, set fire to your business that you've built, you know, it's, it worked so hard to build. No, I think that's actually a smart decision. Um, yeah, no, I agree. That's exactly funny that, he said, that you say that. He said it was just too risky to hand it over in the beginning. But then we found an amazing customer support team and we absolutely trust them. So sometimes it does take some time to find the team that you can really, really trust and rely on. And I definitely think that's a huge challenge in every small growing company is to find good team members. You know, it really did take us a couple of years to, to really, to concrete a good team. Great. And, um, I noticed that, you know, the website's on Shopify. Um, you know, what other e- e-commerce platforms do you guys sell on? Like, so for instance, can, can people find your products on uh, Amazon and so on? Yes. Like, where, where are your products? What on, particularly I'm interested in on, on e-commerce platforms. And yes. which of those platforms do you find best and why? So we're really just on Shopify and Amazon for our international customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been on Shopify... Bravo, brilliant. Are we, I, I mean, would you call another retailer um, an e-commerce site like Beauty? Well, no. uh, well you're, so you're out through Priceline Pharmacies, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Look, um, I think that's distribution. Um, I think you, you're welcome to talk about that. Um, no, we're on one online retailer called Adore Beauty, but mm-hmm. no, no, that's fine. We, we are mainly on Amazon and um, Shopify. Really, those are only two platforms, and they both work brilliantly. Our next guest is Anson Parker. Anson is the head of product at UpBank, and he's been on the show before, appearing in episode three of this series on product planning. Amidst the growing neobank scene, up were the first to launch in Australia in 2018 and have already amassed 250,000 very happy customers. They're hugely popular with Gen Y and Gen Z consumers. So if, like me, you're a bit older than that, you might not have heard of UpBank before. But you've almost certainly heard of one of their key digital partners, Afterpay. In the chat you're about to hear, Anton steps us through how and why his company pulled off a unique digital partnership with perhaps the hottest fintech on earth. I guess uh, like primarily our, our growth is sort of word of mouth. Um, 
but it, it but admittedly it's sort of through our through an internal program we call we call hook up a mate so it's a we're essentially rewarding our customers for bringing their um bringing their mates on um and so that's that's the bulk of our growth uh, and that's fantastic right because particularly in the space we're in where trust is a, is, a, is top of mind for for people like how do i know these i'm gonna send my money into this uh into this bank and how do I know I'm ever going to see it again? Right. Like, mm-hmm. like that is a probably a fair question that people might ask. So um, we can put out snazzy billboards and have great, you know, uh, marketing materials and say, you can trust us. And, um, but ultimately I think if, if you're, if your mates telling you like this, this bank is awesome. Uh, I've been using it for three months. You have to check it out. I mean, you can't get any better than that. Right. Than that personal endorsement. So um, that's been really key for us. Um, we're, we're always sort of experimenting in the digital marketing space. Um, you know, so your typical platforms like, you know, uh, your Facebooks, and Instagrams and, uh, uh, you know, TikToks. And, you know, I think that's that's a really interesting space because it's not an obvious place to sell a bank, you know, like, uh, and so it, can you even sell a bank? There is an interesting question, but but for us too, it's always about you know reaching out to different people and not just kind of growing the bubble of maybe existing customers and their, their network. So um, we really do want to reach you know all of Australia and different different groups, different ages, um, and so that's sort of been key for that. Um, but we also look at um, you know partnering with uh, what we see are kind of the best in the business or, or really popular brands where where we can sort of offer value through that partnership um and, and i think also speak to how we're how we're a different organization to a typical bank you know so uh international payments um is an example where we tra- partner with transferwise we thought were just like by far and away the best in that best player in that space you know the fastest the cheapest the most transparent you know in a in a notoriously sort of opaque uh, industry of like international remittances where t- typical fees are like $30 to send, send money. It takes days or weeks. And mm-hmm. um, so we, we, we really love what they were doing. And we're like, we didn't, just because we're a bank, we have to build that ourselves or, or do it the banky way. Let's just partner with this great, great, you know, FinTech, you know? Um, uh, and we have, we have a partnership with Afterpay, uh, not because we're saying everyone should use Afterpay or, 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 or um or anything but just like millions of people australians do and a ton of our customers use them and hey if we can integrate and provide customers a better understanding of their afterpays through up like that's a great uh you know we, we can help people with that um and tell and, us about uh, that what because I, I read about that was actually one of the key things I, I was hoping you'd bring up the afterpay um partnership so how does that manifest itself to your users yeah, so essentially what, um, you know, the, when you think about the Afterpay experience from the bank side, like when you log into your banking, what do you see um, is what I mean by that. You, you know, like you, you might have a bunch of Afterpays you've set up, like you might have bought a pair of shoes and, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, and you would just see in your bank, you know, Afterpay transaction, Afterpay transaction. You have no idea what it was yep. uh, through your banking app. So we kind of saw that as... Um, you know, up sort of one of our missions has been to help people understand what they're spending their money on, which is like showing the actual store that they bought the yeah. goods at, like a logo, location, category, all of that stuff. So with the, with with these players and like the buy now, pay later, and even like your PayPal's and other people like that, it's, that's all completely blocked off because all the bank can show is just the name of that business. Um, so we're like, like this sucks. We've got to do better here. Um, let's like, but, and we know that Afterpay has this rich data that they're actually collecting and showing in their own app, you know, they'll even down to what you purchased. We thought like, how cool would it be if you could see all of that stuff 
in the up app as well as when your next payments are due and how far through you are and all that sort of stuff. So it really came from that point of view of like, oh, this is kind of a blind spot for us. Like how do we give customers a better experience there? Um, and we spoke to Afterpay. We're like, hey, we want to pull this stuff into the app. And they were like, that'd be awesome. Let's do it. So um, we worked with their team. They actually built an API for us. Um, to do that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, again, we were like, banks don't do this, right? Like banks don't go and reach out and try and do a better job in this space. So, you know, we thought it was a massive opportunity to, to do better there. See, I think that's, that is such a great example of excellent product development because you, you've built something really new that hasn't been done before. It's a genuine in, little innovation. It might not sound like a lot, but for, for, for your customers and users, it's really important uh, the bigger players have ignored it because, you know, they feel like they don't have to make the effort. But you're also partnering with, of course, a, a brand in Afterpay that is massive in your demographic. So it's just I see so many sort of green ticks there. Um, I think that's a really great example for our listeners on how to do product development well f- for purpose, purposeful meaning is probably the best way I would put that. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, you know, the interesting thing was when we first started looking at that uh, partnership, Afterpay was a fraction of the size it is now. They were still getting really successful, but we were seeing like, what are these Afterpay logos on every email we're getting now? It was taking off. So we're like, absolutely, to your point, like this is this is a, a great partnership opportunity for us to do something better in this space and it's very well aligned to our, our core customers too. Yeah, well done. Now, congratulations on that one. Now, anyone who's sold goods on the Amazon marketplace will know what an incredibly powerful platform it is to reach consumers. But like any platform, there are pros and cons to consider before signing up. In his excellent book, The Four, author Scott Galloway reveals one of Amazon's key growth strategies. Apparently, when they identify a new vertical in which they want to offer their own product, they first open up that vertical to vendors on their marketplace. This allows them to amass valuable data on how that market actually works, everything from pricing to consumer trends, behavioral analytics, and competitor depth. Once they've got that data, they can then move in with their own product and completely dominate the vertical. It's very smart business, but it can deliver a brutal outcome for the smaller players who are too reliant on Amazon to sell their products. One founder who's successfully partnered with Amazon is Dr. Wei-Shin Lai of Sleep Phones from Pennsylvania in the United States. Now, if you can visualize a soft aerobics type headband with tiny speakers inside it, that's what it is. Sleep Phones allow you to listen to music in bed via Bluetooth as you go to sleep. Regular listeners will remember Sleep Phones from earlier episodes in this series. In today's show, I ask Dr. Lai and her husband, Jason Wolf to reveal which online platforms they use and how they manage the different distribution channels for optimal growth. Excellent. And um, I noticed that your website um, is a Shopify website. Um, uh, you know, I'm guessing that, well, it, clearly it wasn't always a Shopify website. It must have been something more basic at the start, like maybe a WordPress site. Um, what what led you to uh, use Shopify as your, um, you know, as your sort of, based uh, for, for e-commerce? We, we have kind of a, a bifurcated approach. Like the top of our, our funnel, we've always kept in some other technology that we have more control over because we felt that uh, it was kind of constraining building something, you know, with with the CMS provided by 
Shopify. But, but well, you're locked in. That's you know, dirty. You start selling on Shopify, and and then uh, all of your um, uh, content is on there, and you want to switch away. You're it's very very difficult. You're locked in. There's some technical debt there if if you wanted to to grow in particular ways, right? Mm-hmm. But, but you know, and we did do our e-commerce at times, but. We definitely, I don't want to be involved in the business of maintaining the e-commerce portion of the site because, you know, for, for us, security with in, in, with regard to e-commerce is the most important thing, right? That was our, our number one overriding goal. I mean, I mean, Shopify performs, you know, well enough. The UI is, you know, works well enough. It's, it's inviting enough. But the place we just, we were not going to compromise was the security. And they had established themselves you know, by the time we got ready to, we, we outsourced it. A, we, we worked with that. What was it? Google, Google pay or Google, yep. Google checkout, Google checkout early on. Right. And then yep. of course, and PayPal, you know, Google's infamous for, for, you know, going in different directions that wasn't available to us anymore. Right. Right. And we, we, we looked at Shopify and they'd established themselves as, you know, the industry standard, you know, essentially a utility. And I'm not saying that we won't evaluate other options, but I, at that time, I felt quite comfortable that, that they would provide the security. And, and we still feel comfortable now. At, that, at this time. Yeah, they, they're keeping up with all of the different standards, uh, with credit it. card processing, PCI. And, you know, for us to, to kind of have to maintain all of that, it's it's very cost prohibitive. Well, you, you it takes too much time. You have to live in that. You, you eat and breathe in that space, right? And, and you know, they do, they have the bug bounties, which, which you know, is fairly reassuring. We just we didn't want to take any chances there, and, and I think they're I still feel they're the best solution. And you know, you're uh, a game developer. Not the only solution, right? There are others right. that would probably service, but we're quite pleased with it. Well, uh, we, we, WooCommerce, for instance, WooCommerce. So like, a, you could, you, I would imagine, like a lot of e-commerce um, uh, vendors use WooCommerce in a, in a WordPress installation, for instance. That that would be probably another option. But but Shopify, uh, as, as you allude to, they. Um, they kind of bundle it all up, and their constant their security is very good. And it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's an all in one. It's a pretty attractive proposition. Yeah, we're, yep. we're doing okay. okay. Great, great. I, I think um, with his background in game development, we are very very aware of cybersecurity as an issue. Um, and the you know places like WordPress um, are hackable, uh, and that's a that's a vulnerability. Uh, different scripts can sneak in through there uh, and get to your shopping cart and through your uh, your checkout process. And uh, we we want to have a better control over that whole situation. So, in fact, um, Shopify uh, does the shopping cart and the checkout process, but all the front end uh, information is served in a whole different platform. And, and, and you know, we've got. Our, our front end now, and we've we've had it for a long time, uh, but eventually um, you want to refresh it periodically. So we're just about to refresh that front end, and uh, I, I'm, I'm quite pleased with how it's turning out. So, so we'll, uh, we'll have a new version. Yeah, soon. next week. You know, once you accrue so many pages, migrating uh, to a different platform. Thousands of pages. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it, it becomes an effort. And we've been consuming for quite a while on it. I'm quite pleased with where we're going. Yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, it's a big job, but particularly, you know, yes, yeah, so sort of adding more and more content. And um, uh, just to back up yeah. a few minutes ago, you, you guys used some acronyms there. Uh, the, the one uh, that 
some people might not be aware of. You said CMS, so just for the listeners there, CMS stands for Content Management System. So um, just to uh, explain that. But uh, what I, I see that you guys are, you know, aside from your own um, website on Shopify, you're also distributing your product out through different e-commerce platforms. So, for instance, you, you have a presence on Amazon. So I'm really interested in um, how that cha- those channels work for you, you know, those third-party distributors and, and partners. Uh, uh, you know, which do you find best and, and, and why? And how much of the, of the business does that channel make up? I, you know, we, the different platforms, you know, quite simply reach uh, different audiences and, and hit different people's comfort zones, right? So we, we never, we wouldn't think of, you know, moving to one and not supporting the others, I, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amazon can be difficult to work with as a vendor mm-hmm. to Amazon. Um, and, you know, but they're the elephant. You, you have to work with them. They, and, they give you access to customers that you just would not get mm-hmm. otherwise. Yeah. And, and so then, um, you know, we, they, they make up a large chunk of our net sales. We uh, do quite well there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and of course, we do a lot through our own website. Uh, but we also have international distributors that we work with now. Um, and how did we find them? Well, some of them came to us, in fact. Uh, and then others we um, kind of uh, started talking to uh, through our industry groups. Um, so we're part of the Consumer Technology Association. Uh, and so we hooked up with, you know, people who are selling in that area in other countries uh, through uh, the Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, and we meet our some of our distributors there uh, on an annual basis just to say hi and, you know, cement that relationship a little bit better. Perhaps not this year. Yeah, not this year. No, it'll have to be <laughs> probably virtual this year, won't it? Um, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's um, yeah. I think it, it's a really important for you know, sort of aspiring and new entrepreneurs to understand the the power of distribution. You know, like I mean, it's it, some of my um, most highly rated uh, sort of entrepreneurs I, I've I've seen on the record are saying that they're agnostic about the channel. You know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah which channel it is, which is pretty much what you guys just said, right? So, but you've got to have those different channels out there. And the more channels you have, the more ways for customers to, to buy your product, then it's just obviously uh, going to, if it's a good product, it's going to uh, accelerate sales. Um, now, one thing I do have to point out, though, you do need to control these channels. Uh, you, you don't want to just get it all out there because um, there are potential issues. Uh, when we kind of, just kind of sold to random people, they would, you know, buy it at a certain discount because they were at wholesale and then they would sell into Amazon again and compete against us within oh, Amazon. Right. It's difficult to enforce map no matter how careful you are. Yeah. Right. And so then, you know, instead of selling it at the ninety nine ninety five price, they would might sell it at ninety nine ninety four. And then they would win the buy box and then we would have to tell them, hey, you know, you gotta play fair. You know, everybody wants to sell together at in, in this playground and, and yep. you can't be doing this type of thing, but you know, so, and, and then eventually we learned the hard lesson of, okay, n- yeah, nobody can sell except us on Amazon. And I think, you know, the rules for map vary from country to country too. So that adds they do. complexity. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, there's the manufacturer suggested retail price. And if, if they really aren't, um, you know, working with us well, then we don't have to sell to them. And now, another word from our sponsor. Hi, it's Ben again from WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency. 
I mentioned earlier in the show how we've developed a buy now, pay later digital marketing solution for small businesses. If you want to grow but cash flow is holding you back, WebBuzz offers you a way to invest in marketing with no interest and nothing to pay for up to three months. It's a simple five-step process, and here's how it works. Number one, book a video meeting with our team. Two, choose a digital marketing package. Three, apply online for funding. Four, get approved. Five, start your campaign with $0 to pay up front. You can use it for lead generation, content, branding, SEO, or social media campaigns. Our buy now, pay later digital marketing is just the thing you need to get sales flowing again. So get that life is good feeling back in your business. Go to webbuzz.com.au slash BNPL. That's webbuzz.com.au slash BNPL and download a free info pack to learn more. So the problem we set out to solve today was how to navigate the pros and cons of e-commerce and online distribution platforms. Our three entrepreneurial guests, Jessica from JS Health, Anson from UpBank and Dr. Wei Xin Lai of Sleep Phones all provided amazing practical real-life experience. I hope their wisdom and insights have given you ideas to crack the code to growth in your own venture. For me, there are three clear conclusions we can all draw from this episode. Number one, leverage the power of community wherever possible. The way Jess from JS Health has developed strong connections with her vast Instagram community and across multiple online channels is a textbook case study in how to use digital platforms to expand distribution. Number two, different platforms reach different audiences. As Jason from Sleepphone said, one of the key benefits of using different distribution channels is that you reach new audiences that have never previously been exposed to your brand. So expanding your distribution can promote discovery of your product. And number three, use partnerships creatively. I loved the Afterpay story Anson shared with us. What's truly notable about this is the impetus to approach Afterpay came from a drive to improve the user experience for their own customers. In this case, it was less about boosting short-term sales and more about enhancing the brand position to stimulate user engagement and referrals. Now, I'm a big believer in the power of distribution to extend reach and power sales growth. I've used it in my own businesses in the past and I've seen it up close in big companies I've worked with over the years, but it's not all upside. As we heard in the unlocked story at the top of the episode, relying on one digital channel or partner for distribution is highly risky. It can kill even the most promising startup. So don't put all your digital eggs in one basket, so to speak. Diversify your risk by building multiple partnerships and using different platforms. Within the whole product development cycle, distribution and online platforms might seem like a bolt-on component that you can leave until the last minute. But you should actually be thinking about this well before launch. Because if you've developed a truly awesome product or service, and you can then marry that with the right distribution then the sky truly is the limit for your venture. We're coming to the end, but before we go, it's time for a regular segment, and this week, it's Nerd Superpower, where a guest has to reveal one character trait that really gives them an edge as an entrepreneur. 
Let's find out who our super nerd is today. So, uh, Anton, um, we now come to another recurring segment here at Nerds of Business called... Nerd Superpower. So, Nerd Superpower. Um, as a nerd, as, as, as someone that's, you know really gets into, no doubt, on product, product design, data, and, and uh, financial services... What would you say is your superpower as it maybe, you know, as it relates to your work as a, as a product designer? Um, I think it's uh, probably just um, the, uh, the, a love of creativity and a love of sort of innovation. Like to me, that's, that's probably where my approach might be different to others in the space. I'm sure there are others like me too, but I, for me, I find it this amazing creative outlet, right? Like to, to, to come up with these ideas and connect things in new ways. And so it's fun for me. Like I don't, I can't switch that off, you know, even when it's not work hours. I mean, the shit that I, I think most of my best ideas would be riding the bike to work or in the shower or taking, you know, like mowing the lawn or just something where I'm completely away from the computer and everything's just kind of percolating and you just have this amazing moment where everything just kind of suddenly clicks and this, all of these pieces fall into place and it's very exciting, and then you're just like, I can't wait to to tell the to show this to the team, and and uh, and hopefully they get it. <laughs> and most of the time, they do. So, thanks for listening to episode 21 of Nerds of Business. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us climb up the ranks and become more visible to other people just like you. Remember, we want to help as many entrepreneurs and businesses as possible. If you've got a question or some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can engage with us at webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. That's webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. So feel free to reach out and say hello. I want to thank all of our guests and the team at WebBuzz for helping me put this show together. We'll be back in two weeks with our final episode of the product development series. It's launch marketing and how to promote your new product or service to market for the first time. Until then, I'm your host, Darren Moffat, and I look forward to nerding out with you next time. Bye for now.